0: Well, welcome to church this morning, everyone. Welcome to those watching online as well. My name's Ryan. I'm our lead pastor here at Radiant Life, and it's just so good. We are jumping into our series that we call an ongoing series here at Radiant Life called Awaken. We look at the book of Acts. We started this in the new year, and I warned our church. I said, we'll probably be in this book or this series for three to five years. And some of you like scoffed at it and be like, there's no way. And now you realize we are six months into the new year and only have gotten through two chapters, Right? And so what we'll do is, here's the warning, Today, and then next week, we'll cover all of Acts chapter 3, and then the month of the rest of June and July, you'll understand an off-ramp, and then we're going to jump back into Acts in August and September, and we'll, we'll go longer into the Awaken series at the end of summer, early fall for us. So some of you love like, man, Pastor can we just stay in the book of Acts? And it's like, don't worry, we'll have seasons where we're definitely in here a lot longer, and then we'll have seasons where we're in, and then we jump out, and we'll come back in. So there it is. So if you got your Bible with me with you, if you've got your phone or your tablet, turn to Acts chapter 3 and we're going to be in the first 10 verses today. We'll go verse by verse and we've titled this message Far Greater. Far Greater. Now, this t- teaching I'm tag teaming this teaching with Pastor Brandon. So you'll see me for about the next 10 minutes and then Pastor Brandon is going to land the teaching for us today. But I want to get us caught up to where we are since it's been a while since we've talked about Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. So let me do a quick review before we jump in to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 1, there's, I'm going to point out four monumental events in Acts chapter 1 to get us all caught up. In verse 8, Holy Spirit is promised. Jesus is with his apostles Notice I did not say disciples. They're now known as the apostles. The difference is this. A disciple, by definition, is a learner. Now Jesus is going to ascend into heaven, and now they're the apostles because an apostle means one who is sent out. So you're going to get this transition here. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 9, it's known as the ascension of Christ. Jesus ascends into heaven now. And we're told the apostles are like, just watching Jesus, oh, there he goes, bye Jesus, right? And he's gone. And the angels are there like, dude, stop, stop looking up, man, we got a mission to do, right? And the angels appeared, and then for the next several verses, starting in verse 14, we're told as they are in waiting, which we know it's approximately about 10 days, they're in waiting after Jesus ascends, they're waiting for the Spirit, they don't know what this is going to be like, um, And so they're in waiting, but what are they in the waiting? What are they doing? They're praying. I'm just, I wonder if we shouldn't be people marked by prayer. Every decision bathed in prayer. Even just, man, if you're a teenager and you're determining who should I date, bathe it in prayer. Listen, if that person you're dating doesn't leave you to Christ, then leave them at the door. Parents, you needed a louder amen than that right there, right? You can blame it on Pastor Ryan, not yourself. You're like, Pastor Ryan said so, right? But bathe every decision in prayer. Then in Acts Acts chapter 1, verse 26, they, they have chosen Matthias to replace Judas. What happened to Judas? He was part of the 12. What happened to Judas is, remember, he betrayed Jesus, and then he goes and commits suicide. And so the apostles are in prayer for 10 days and they realize, hey, we got to replace Judas. So we have 12 apostles now. Then Acts chapter 2 begins with a bang. Acts chapter 2 begins the way that a lot of Christians are scared. Acts chapter 2 begins in verse 4. They're celebrating Pentecost. Let me hear you say Pentecost. Pentecost. (laughs) You're awesome, right? Pentecost just, it literally means 50, right? But for some of us, you know why we get spooked in the Christian faith when we hear Pentecost? Because that's when God chose for the Holy Spirit to come. And it says he filled everyone in the upper room. So finally, Acts chapter 1, 8 is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And remember, Pentecost is just a Jewish pilgrim festival. It was a festival. It was a holiday that they celebrated that God chose to send, Holy Spirit. And they're like, this is great. And I think we as a church ought to embrace more of the spirit. I remember, who is the Godhead with us right now? Holy Spirit, we ought to get to know who's walking with us. We ought to get to know the one who's sanctifying us, who's course correcting our lives towards Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of the Father. Where's the Father? Sitting in the throne room. Oh, so who's with us? Holy Spirit listen I don't think we ought to stiff arm Holy Spirit just because we don't understand something does not mean we should stiff arm what we don't understand right here's the deal I know there's a group over here that thinks man the church is going to get all like weird and Pentecostal and people are going to swing from all the lights now you know with Holy Spirit (laughs) listen those people swinging from the chandeliers with they would do that without Holy Spirit man they're just weird And some of you are asking right now, do people really swing from chandeliers in churches? I'll let you figure that one out, all right? (laughs) Then there's a group over here that sits there and is just a fist like, no, because I've, no, like, that's not it. uh, I want us to be a church that has a posture that says this. Scott, whatever you have for me. Man, if the Holy Spirit's a good gift, I want it. I may not fully understand. Listen, if you can fully understand the Spirit, then maybe you are idolizing your own thought process of who God is. That was, that was awesome, God, thank you. Okay, um, so Holy Spirit Falls, verse 38, What monumental. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, who did not have the boldness to stand when Jesus is on trial, and when they're like, hey, you were with Jesus. He's like, nope, don't know what you're talking about. Right, denied Jesus three times. He, now, what's the difference now? He's got the Spirit. He's empowered by the Spirit, stands in boldness to the crowd and says, listen, y'all crucified this Jesus, who is the Son of God. And he gives, and it says they're all cut to the heart. They're like, what do we do? And what does Peter say? Repent, be baptized, and y'all need the spirit to walk out this Christian life now. And in that moment, it says the response, 3,000 people in verse 41 get saved and baptized right there in the moment. Man, if you don't like church growth, you're going to struggle with the book of Acts. This is our mission, To seek and save the lost people. To help people walk a life towards Jesus Christ. And of course they were able to baptize. Can you imagine? Baptizing 3,000 people. I mean, how awesome is that? But they had ritual baths called called mikvah. Let me hear you say mikvah. Mikvah. It's just a ritual bath. Uh, They were all over the cities because ceremonial cleansing was high in the Jewish ancient culture. So there were mikvahs all over the place. So they can easily baptize three people. We would probably have to drain our hot tub that we bring up. They'd be like, the water's too dirty. Let's drain it, get new water. We keep going, right? But it was all over. And then in verse 42, we're given a glimpse that the early church has devoted themselves. We get a glimpse of the church for the first time. In verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted. Church was their top priority, not just another priority. And they were generous. They were giving everything away. And it says the Lord just kept adding to their number. And now we enter Acts chapter 3, and we get a glimpse into the very first miracle that the early church does. And it's awesome. So if you're at Acts chapter 3, If you're there with your Bible, with your phone or tablet, let me hear you say word. Word. We get into the word, so the word gets into who? Uh, Us. You guys are awesome. Here we go. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, let's stop right there. We're told very clues from Luke. Luke is the author of Acts. We're told significant clues here. Number one. That there's a time of prayer. Let me bring us back 2,000 years ago real quick to understand the times of prayer. There are three significant times of prayer. You have the morning prayer, the afternoon prayer, and the evening prayer. And these are the three times. The morning prayer is known as the third hour, which is 9 a.m. Why the third hour? Because technically their day starts at 6 a.m. Okay, so always have that in your mind when you read the Bible. Their days technically 6 a.m. is like the start of the of the time. So the third hour is nine o'clock. Do you know what hour Jesus was crucified? The third hour, now we know nine o'clock, okay? And it says the afternoon is the ninth hour. Three. What did Jesus say at the ninth hour? It is finished. So now you know the times of Jesus' death. Okay. And then, so we're told it's this hour, it's the afternoon hour, and then they have an evening hour, they never set a time, they just said when sunset happened. But we know this, is that they're there at the temple in the afternoon prayer time at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock. This is significant, because this, by historical records, would mean this is the busiest time at the Temple Mount. Because the morning prayer, if you can make it to the temple, great. If not, you did it at your home. But the afternoon, more than likely, we could all make it to the temple and do it. And the evening normally happened, sometimes at your home, at nightfall. So we're told this is the busiest hour. Immediately, that's what we're told. Verse 2 begins this way. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. Again, significant clues. We're talking about a temple and a certain gate called what, friends? Beautiful. So let me take you. This is a computer rendering of Herod the Great's temple at the time of Jesus Christ. What we need to know is that King Solomon, the third king of Israel, the son of David, got to build the temple. And then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and, kept, and put into captivity all of the Jewish people and then destroyed the temple in 586 B.C. Then a guy by the name of King Cyrus or King Cyrus, sorry, King Cyrus from Persia comes to power and the Persians defeated the Babylonians. So King Cyrus is there and says, "I want good relationships with you Jews because the Babylonians took you into exile. I'm going to let a group of you go back to rebuild the temple that your King Solomon built." Hence, like Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, they go back to rebuilding the temple, but don't complete it in its, all of its glory. They do their best to try to do what they needed to do. Then a guy by the name of Herod the Great, a.k.a. King Herod, goes on the throne of Israel under the Roman government authority in 37 B.C. He reigns until he dies in 4 B.C., Now, if you know Jesus' birth narrative, what is that keen into those dates? That Herod was ruling at the time of Jesus. Herod dies 4 BC, which means more than likely Jesus was born 5 or 6 BC, not year zero. I know, jacked up all your calendars right now. And now you're like, wait, what? Right? Okay, so King Herod started building this temple right here. In 19 BC, it takes about 10 years to build. It takes over 100,000 men to build this temple in 10 years. It wasn't completed until all its glory, until about AD 64. Then the Romans are going to come in in AD 70 and destroy everything. But Herod, for the most part, at least got to see its significance there. Now, what did King Herod do? He was a master builder. And one of the things he lived by was this statement. Go big or go home. And King Herod went real big. Like this was way bigger than Solomon's temple. In fact, if you want to know the size, that's known as the temple mount. There in the middle is the temple. The temple mount was built on a hill. The hill wasn't big enough for Herod to build this massive structure. So you know what Herod did? Bring in dirt so I can build something huge. And he wanted to make a name for himself for the Jews. So this is really cool. Let me show you some parts here. And I'm going to walk back here and scare all the worship team as I stand on this chair here and show you things. So this is the temple. This is the temple mount. Over here, you see the flat areas over here and over here? That's known as the court of Gentiles. So you have two people group at the time. You have Jews and everyone else is a Gentile if you're not a Jew. So Gentiles could come up into the Temple Mount, but they could not go into the Temple. Here, uh, this will be key for next week's story. This whole wall here is known as Solomon's Porch, or Solomon's Colonnade, or Solomon's Portico. This here, the eastern wall was given that name. If you look at the western wall, it would be very similar with all these pillars. And that is where you would, it's kind of like the church lobby, if you will. That's where people hung out before worship and things like that. This is probably where when Jesus was 12 years old and his parents left him in the temple. And he's asking questions to the people that are there. Probably happening in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. So now we go into the temple. Do you see this right here? That's the main entrance into the temple. Welcome to the gate called Beautiful. Inside this gate was this court, the court of women. That's as far as women were allowed to go as a Jew. Beyond that, then, you have the court of Israelites where men can go, you have the court of priests, and then you enter into the holy place where the holy of holies, where they believed God's presence dwelt. In the holy place, that's where you get the veil. What tore when Jesus took his last breath? The veil, what was that curtain or veil? It separated the presence of God from the people. When Jesus took his last breath, that curtain tore and the presence of God now was everywhere. Come on, that's cool, right? So let me tell you about this gate real quick. That gate is known as beautiful because it was massive. It's a massive gate. It it was super ornate, probably made of some gold. There may be some bronze there. And it was the gate where all Jewish people would enter into worship. Now we know, oh, see, the lame man is smart where to, where to lay me. I want to be where people are going to go to worship, so maybe they'll see me. Here's another clue. There were 19 offering plates right there that were in like a, a horned and trumpet look. Remember the woman who had two mites, and Jesus said she gave everything? happened right there. So now he's sitting there where worship people, are, where uh, the Jewish people are going to go and worship and pray. Not only that, he's there where people are dropping off their offering. And he's going, maybe, perhaps, they're going to be generous and give me some money. Welcome now to verse 3. Let's read it together, verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. We now know why he's there. It's where the offering was. It's where everyone had to go to worship. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. Verse 5. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. What do you think he's expecting to get? Give me some money, please. I've been lame from birth. I can't walk, but maybe, perhaps, your money can help get food on the table for me. And he is about to get something far greater. Have you ever had an expectation where God met you and you're like, Yes? You ever had an expectation thinking it's going to be this? but it was something else? Have you ever had an expectation and God did something far greater?
1: I hope as followers of Jesus, we would respond with a yes. And I hope that after we finish this chunk of scripture here, we would definitely have a resounding yes that God has something far greater. Let's continue into the narrative here and uh, getting into the next verse, verse six. But it says, uh, um, I lost my spot. Here we go. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. How awesome is that? This first miracle takes place. And Peter got to be a part of that story. But I'm wondering for some of us, if we get so focused on what we don't have. We, we go through our Christian walk and we get so focused and narrow-minded on the things that we don't have. Like, I don't... I haven't gone to Bible school. I don't have a Bible degree. I haven't gone to seminary. I, I, just, I just simply don't have enough knowledge. Like, I don't know enough things about this. And we begin to get so focused on the things that we don't have. Or I, I just, I don't have enough money. I, I, I don't have enough money to, to pay all my bills. I don't think Peter was worried about how much money he had. He was more focused on what he did have. Some of us, we we might say, oh, I don't have enough time. I just, we, we gotta get into the prayer service. I just don't have time to spend with you right now. Maybe after the prayer service, I can give you the attention that you're looking for. Peter and John, they weren't interested in that. And maybe for some of us, we wrestle with, I just don't have the right personality. Like, I I can't get on the stage, I can't talk like you do, like, I just can't, I'm not comfortable being in front of other people, and and I get that. Not, Not everybody is called to do that, but we can also have a conversation at a coffee shop, and we can share what Jesus has done in our life. You know, this morning, in just reflection on this message, God just reminded me of how beautiful the body of Christ is. Like, my thumb doesn't do the same thing that my elbow does. And my elbow doesn't do the same thing that my shoulder does. Like, each one of us have different personalities, different gifting. But we can't use that as a hindrance of something in sharing Jesus. And so we need to reframe our mindset. And I hope that you allow this to sit in. It's not about what we don't have. It's about what we do have. Let that marinate for a minute. We get so focused on what we don't have and we lose track of what we do have. Go back to the narrative. Or I'm sorry. Think about Acts chapter one, verse eight. The power of the Holy Spirit was sent, right? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Peter understood this. That's what he had was the Holy Spirit. Yes, he had walked with Jesus. He did life with Jesus. Heard some probably really funny jokes with Jesus. Heard Jesus sneeze. He had all of these stories. He saw these miracles. He saw his teachings. He saw Jesus going back into heaven. And now he has the Holy Spirit. Grab this the same Holy Spirit then is now here. If you've surrendered your life over to Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave resides inside of you. That's an amen right there. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the presence of God living inside of you. Allow that to sit in your mind and your heart. Peter says, what I do have. He wasn't focused on what he didn't have. He knew what he had. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we have the presence of God. It's not about what we don't have. It's what we have. We have to reframe our minds and our hearts and to realize that. It's so easy to get focused, especially in our culture of comparing to others. It's so easy to compare, well, I don't have that. I don't have this. It's not about that. It's not about that at all. It's about what we do have. And for people who have surrendered their life over to Jesus, we have the greatest gift of ever, the presence of God living and residing inside of us. That's an amen as well. Now let's continue into the narrative, the next verse. I love this. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. How awesome is that? walking and leaping and praising God. Now remember the narrative, uh, verse two, it says he was lame from birth. This guy has never walked a single day. It's not like he walked at some point, got an injury and he wasn't able to walk again. He's never walked. And I, I imagine that it's something kind of like this. You, you get going a little bit and you kind of lose your balance, right? Right? But I love the fact that this detail that Peter reached out his right hand. Side note, that's why we need biblical community. As we're all pursuing Jesus and we're trying to walk with him, there's times that it's hard and we stumble. And we need other people to step in and to hold our hand. That's an amen right there as well. We need biblical community. Peter was there and he held his hand. Helped him get up. All the people saw him walking and praising God. He was praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were all filled with what? Awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. When people look at your life, are they in awe and filled with astonishment because of what Jesus has done in your life? It's time for us to jump up and leap for Jesus. Our lives should reflect that. We can get so focused on what we don't have and we need to focus on what we have. For me, I could be focused on that my parents were never married. I could focus on the, how those dynamics played out growing up in my childhood. I could get focused on that my mom is no longer here. I was in my 20s when she died. I could focus on I had no idea what it was to be a man and what true masculinity is. I, I just lived a selfish life that was all about me. It made awful choices. I broke so many relationships. I broke so many marriages. And I could focus on all of that. But God is my witness filled with his spirit doing his work inside of my life I'm able to stand here and to testify the power of God living in my life and it has nothing to do with me it gives all him the glory yeah I struggle with depression yeah I struggle with having intense fellowship with my wife this week it just showed me that God was going to do something here today But we, as followers of Christ, have something to raise a hallelujah about. I get it. Depression sucks. It's real. Broken relationships, they suck. I get it. It's real. But we can still raise a hallelujah. Would you stand with me here? Prayer team, you can make your way down. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to sing, raise a hallelujah. (laughs) And I hope that the shingles get blown off this roof because we're so focused on what we have, which is the presence of God. Think about this. We have been forgiven. Our sins are no more. They're as far as the east is from the west. That's something to raise a hallelujah about. That the creator of the universe loves you and me so much that he would send his one and only son to take the punishment that I deserved. That's something to raise a hallelujah about. And maybe you're standing here today like, I don't have that and I want that. Please make your way to the prayer team. If there's something that you've been so focused on and you're trying to raise a hallelujah, go to the prayer team. Allow them to lift you up in prayer. But church family, it's time to leap up. It's time to raise a hallelujah.